Welcome to another hour of Highway 89, Utah's most scenic musical byway. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Our guest today is pianist Robin Hancock. He didn't have all that far to come today. He teaches in the Brigham Young University School of Music. Professor Hancock is well known throughout the state of Utah, as well as nationally and internationally, as one of the pianists of the American Piano Quartet. Together they concertize, teach master classes, and perform and record for television and radio. He's also an active soloist with a knack for putting together entertaining programs. For one concert of his, he featured all the music in the Gershwin songbook from 1932, plus a piano transcription of An American in Paris. You know that was a good evening. Also, before he earned his degree, degrees, a master's in pedagogy from BYU and a doctorate in piano performance from Boston University, Robin Hancock performed with a USO troop for soldiers during the Vietnam War. Nowadays, his performances include appearances with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, the Northwest Chamber Orchestra, and symphonies of Central Washington University, Utah Valley, and Temple Hill, California. He's sought after as an accompanist and arranger, and over the years has worked with musicians like Michael Ballam, Stanford Olson, James Arrington, David Osmond, Jenny Oaks Baker, Mac Wilberg, Ray Smith, and Darren Bradford. We'll get right to the music. We'll hear the longest piece, and you need to know this as you listen to this transcription by Brahms of a Bach piece for left hand only, originally written for violin. A piece played entirely on the left hand. This is his Chacon.
We've been listening to Chacon by Johann Sebastian Bach. That transcription for piano from the violin original by Johannes Brahms, performed for left hand only by our guest today, Robin Hancock. You're listening to Highway 89, a live recital program from the beautiful Studio 6 of BYU Broadcasting. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Robin, thank you. That's amazing. Anyone listening will think that's a two-hand piece. It's very deceptive. Uh, you have to be told that it was for the left hand only. And, uh, and, and, and then it's quite amazing what Brahms was able to do with that. And I picked the piece because I liked the way Brahms, shall we say, confronted Bach and, uh, and encountered him and reinterpreted him and how he was able to bring out the, the, all the things, the original pieces but from the original violin piece, but enhance it with uh, all the virtuosity that the piano can offer. Uh, something interesting about the piece, uh, this is the 50th anniversary of the death of John F. Kennedy, and that'll happen on November 22nd. And Isaac Stern, the great violinist, was programmed to play the Sibelius Violin Concerto in Texas. So he was in Dallas on November 22nd. He was in the airport having a, a drink in the cafe. He could see Air Force One out there on the tarmac. And over the radio came the news of the assassination. And he was so distraught that he told the conductor of the symphony the program was to be the next night. He said, I don't think the Sibelius would really be appropriate, so I'm going to play the, the Chaconne for solo violin. And so he did that, and he told the audience that night, uh, the, uh, he quoted Bach in saying, he who sings prays twice. And so he was saying to them, we'll do this soul-stirring music of Bach on this somber occasion. So he played it, and reportedly it was with tears streaming down his face and, and uh, as he played it, and then there was no applause afterwards, and he walked off the stage. So that's, that, that's this piece, the Chaconne. And one more quick little thing, the Chaconne was also used in a 1946 movie, a horror movie called The Beast with Five Fingers, in which this disembodied <laughs> left hand runs around through the whole movie, killing people, and then stops and plays snatches of this Chaconne on the piano, and then does some more mayhem and killing, and then more snatches of this. So it's interesting life that this piece has had. It seems to have many different applications. Yes. So, well, I heard you gave a recital recently yes. with your daughter who dances called Classics for Piano and Ballet. You play this as it's written for the left hand, and she did a very interesting type of dance. Tell us what she, she did. She saw me practicing and playing and performing it, and she thought, I'll choreograph the piece to do just with my right foot, to match him doing just his left hand only, I'll do just my right foot only. So she, for 15 minutes, she did this choreography as if she was a ballerina warming up at the bar. And so, and, and then she, she was doing a lot of right hand, warm, right foot warm up stuff. So oh, it was quite effective. We have another piece. We'll let you take your place here. But speaking of ballet, we will hear a piece from a Tchaikovsky ballet from Sleeping Beauty. This is a transcription from the orchestra by Mikhail Pletnev, the pas de deux. This happens when uh, Aurora is awakened after her 100-year sleep by Prince Desiree. He wakens her with a kiss, and you might feel like dancing too. Here is the pas de deux by Tchaikovsky.
the pas de deux from Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty, transcription by Mikhail Pletnev, live from Classical 89 Studios. That was played by our guest today on Highway 89, Robin Hancock. Robin, sometimes I hear transcriptions called a, a, a reduction of the score, but there is nothing reduced about what you just played. How would you define well, a piano it's transcription? A- a transcription is, uh, it's, there are paraphrases in which the composer will take a theme from the opera and do variations and show all of his compositional prowess on it. But uh, in a transcription, he tries to take an exact snapshot of the piece and, and then re- reinterpret it through the pianistic medium. And Pletnev in this piece, as you could hear, tried to capture all the orchestral majesty of that moment in the, in the ballet, which I think really represents the resurrection. And you can hear Pletnev capturing the sounds of the winds and the, the climbing scales and, 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 the, and the majestic theme all the way through. And so the, the, the job is really for the pianist to voice it and to orchestrate at the keyboard, or sometimes we call it piano straighting. In other words, trying to... <laughs> Be as an orchestra at the keyboard. So when you compare transcriptions of the same piece done by different arrangers or, or pianists, do you see a big difference, a wide difference even with from the same piece? It depends on the, the person. I'm going to do this Yesu Joy in a, little, in a few moments. Uh, that's had a lot of transcriptions over the years. And it depends on the composer, depends on the performer, whoever's doing it. It depends on... I think a lot their personality, how they interpret even spirituality as that piece will show. And, uh, and then what comes out is, uh, I think, a product of their personality and what's in, inside of them. So, so. When, when someone, well, I shouldn't say someone, when you are doing a piano transcription, uh, is there a part of you that says, I must be exactly faithful to this original? Or is there, a, how much of a creative opportunity. When I'm doing it myself, I'm trying to to be as uh, faithful as I can to the original, but then everyone's going to say, well, how can you put a full orchestra into just two hands on the keyboard? So I'm also trying to use the the piano uh, resources, scales, pedaling, voicing that, that helps it to come to life. So bringing all of those those resources together makes it happen. Are there any transcriptions you like better than the orchestral original? Uh, <laughs> Sometimes when I hear the piano transcriptions, I say, that is even better. I need to learn that mm. because it's so impressive, you know, to hear a full orchestra, 80-piece orchestra being put into just two hands on the piano. And that's why the, the great virtuoso pianists back in the 1910s and 1920s, that's why they did that as they were showing off their virtuosity. And that's what gave it maybe a bad name, showing off virtuosity. But I believe the virtuosity still has to have a solid piano foundation behind it. And if it's incorporated with spirituality of the piece and the composer, I think the, the, the result is magnificent. So the intent shouldn't be, who needs an orchestra? I can play this. <laughs> so, Well, you talked about the beast with five fingers. We're going to hear something that sometimes is regarded as horror music. This is a a piece written by Franz Schubert, but we'll be listening to a piano transcription by Franz Liszt. This is the Erlkönig, or it's often, uh, in English, it would be the Elf King.
That creepy music was Robin Hancock performing the Earl Koenig, or the Elf King, live on Highway 89, the cheery tale of a father racing through the forest trying to save his son for, uh, and is not successful. <laughs> that, that's right. And as you hear at the end, in the actual words at the end, the singer sings, and in his arms, the child was dead. And you hear those final two d dominant tonic chords, the most angriest chords in all the literature. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so we did want to mention one of your teachers, mentors on the BYU faculty for many years was Dr. Paul Poli. Correct. He recently passed away after doing so much, not only in this valley, but even internationally for, Correct. to bring prestige yes. and, a, a, and his legacy of music making. But he also was one of the performers in the American Piano Quartet. Tell me about meeting him and, and working with him. He was the founder of the quartet in 1984. He and Mac Wilberg started it with Ron Staley and Doug Humphreys. And uh, a student brought some music to him, said, how do we play this? And the music was written in, for two pianos, eight hands. And so that opened up this whole world to Paul, and he did research, and he, he got his three colleagues together, and they started the piano quartet and did it in the Harris Fine Arts Center and uh, did some Franz Liszt transcriptions for two piano, eight hand. And from there, it just went uh, national and then international. And we credit him with inventing, or should I say resurrecting, the, the whole genre. Because it had been around in the 1800s, and that's how people got to know operas. They would go buy this version of it and play it in their own homes before radio and before me, the, the electronic media came along. And this is how they got to know it. So he resurrected that because it was lost for many, many years. And I came along, uh, finished my doctorate, and, and came back to BYU on faculty in 1995. And he invited me to join the group at that time and uh, uh, kind of overlapping with Mac Wilberg, and then he took his pr present position with the Tabernacle Choir, and I became a permanent member of the group. And Paul Poley was always the, the mentor, uh, friend, teacher for me. Not bad playing companions, that particular list of musicians. Uh, Paul Poley also founded the Gina Bachauer International Piano Com Competition. It started at a, as a BYU event before it moved to Salt Lake City. Correct. And you also competed in this. 1988. I was one of the competitors. It was it was a great thrill to, to play in a Bravanel Hall and and uh, and I got to do two rounds, uh, which the the two rounds everybody got to play those two rounds. So that was revolutionary on Paul's part to do something like that to not cut people until they'd been heard twice mm. in two 15-minute programs. So so what Paul did was revolutionize the the competition world. So. I, I've often thought when people talk about a pianist and they say, oh, he has this kind of a tone or she has this type of interpretation, and I think it's the same instrument. How are they getting a different tone, a different, a different performance? What, did, what was uh, Dr. Poli's style, if well, you could put your finger on that? He always uh, emphasized the color at the piano, that you have to go into the realm of color. Uh, sound is all about color, and he would get that in four ways, and pianists would know this by pedaling, voicing, dynamics, and articulation. And so when you, when you start going to all the different pianists in the world, they all have different ways of doing those, and that's why there's so many different uh, sounds and, and even sounds that we recognize, like that's Lang Lang, or that's Horowitz, or that's Rubenstein, because you, you, you start to get your ears tuned up and recognizing what they're doing and the resources that they're using. And Paul was instrumental in teaching that to me over and over, emphasizing color. And that's what I'm always doing from now on, trying to teach that to my own students. We would be amiss if we did not hear some of your transcriptions. So okay. we'll let you head for the piano here. Two of these, and uh, these are sort of crowd pleasers, I have to say. 
Uh, the first one is a transcription you've done of Jesu Joy of Man's Desiring, famous piece by Bach, often played at uh, Christmas, at Easter, even weddings, although it was not written for any of those, followed by Theme from the Magnificent Seven by Elmer Bernstein, who was, he wrote scores for The Ten Commandments, The Great Escape, To Kill a Mockingbird, Thoroughly Modern Millie. He, did, he wrote for about every kind of film. And let's hear these two pieces, Yesu Joy of Man's Desiring, followed by the theme from The Magnificent Seven.
<laughs> music from the movie The Magnificent Seven by Elmer Bernstein. Uh, that 1960 film about seven Americans hired to protect a village in Mexico from bandits. It just sounds mm-hmm. like a Western, and some of us are old enough to remember hints of that in a Marlboro commercial. Yes, or two. that's right. It took on a new life with that commercial. And then Yesu Joy of Man's Desiring... Uh, you did a really interesting reharmonization, and Bach was famous for his variations. It was yes. sort of cool to hear yours. What would you call that that harmony? Oh, I was just f- trying to find um, pretty chords. I'll call them <laughs> just beautiful chords that reharmonize the melody that everyone knows so well. And I've had people, I've had purists that come up to me and say, "I don't like what you did with that," and I've had other people come up and say, "I love what you did with that." So everyone has their different tastes uh, uh, about I'm, Bach. When I'm, in, doing I'm Bach. in the second camp there. I love to hear it, and it makes me hear it in a new way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robin Hancock is our guest today on Classical or on Highway 89, being broadcast on Classical 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I love that you played a few crowd pleasers. You'd have to call them that. Uh, yes. Are there times when you see classical pianists not willing to do something, maybe because it's too popular? Oh, that's always been a, a debate uh, for for centuries, whether we please the masses or or we please ourselves or the mm-hmm. the higher being that's in us. And it's a debate that goes on, and I don't know if there's any good answer to it. I I like to. Uh, I like to educate the audience, and Rachmaninoff even taught that as one of his own principles, that to educate the public and to uplift them and inspire them. And to do that, you have to reach them with music that they they like, and then you can sneak in things that they may not know as well, but you have them in your camp, and and they're they're then sympathetic and willing to listen. So So were you watching The Magnificent Seven when you got the idea (laughs) to do this transcript? Uh, I hadn't seen the movie in a long time, but I loved hearing the various orchestral arrangements of it. The Eric Kunzel version with the Pops and the Boston Pops did it and and I've just always loved that and I grew up hearing that on the stereo all the time and it was just in the back of my mind I thought I wonder if that can be done just on a, on the piano and started fooling around with it and it came out so So this next piece is this a transcription or we're going to hear this is straight original. on the original from Debussy this is Claire de Lune uh, written He began it in 1890, finished it 15 years later, 1905. This is the third and most famous movement of his Sweet Bergamasque called Moonlight or Claire de Lune.
Claire de Lune performed live on Classical 89. That concludes another edition of Highway 89. Our guest today has been pianist Robin Hancock. Robin, thank you so much for being here. I'm leaving with a smile and floating off on a cloud of Claire de Lune. Thank you (laughs) so much. Thank you for having me. Robin Hancock is a member of the piano faculty in the BYU School of Music and a member of the renowned American Piano Quartet. We love to hear from you. Please send us your comments and questions. To contact us, simply send an email to highway89 at byu.edu. Highway 89 is a live concert series from the studios of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. The recording engineer is Mark Waite, and the show's producer is Jackie Tateishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening. <laughs>